Good morning. Um, thanks, Nancy, for that prayer. Um, if every fall we um, have two kind of events to celebrate some of the missions work that we do here. So we have a missions prayer breakfast where we gather to pray for our missionaries. And then we have Mission Sunday where we have a speaker and we, we also pray for our missionaries. Um, but as part of that in the fall, we give this little handout that we always invite you to take home so you can pray for our missionaries throughout the year. Um, just thinking in how do we love and live and serve locally and globally, we also printed out extra of those in case you didn't get one in the fall or maybe you got one in the fall for your home and you want to take one to work so you can pray at work too. Um, but there's some on the Welcome Center at the back. So please, please take it. Um, these are um, brothers and sisters and families who are serving the Lord um, to the ends of the earth. And one of the ways we can join in that partnership is by praying for them. So I'd like to invite you after the service to, to please go and grab one of those and, and to pray for them throughout the year. Uh, we're going to be continuing our DNA series uh, this morning. We're talking this morning specifically about serving locally and globally as part of our DNA here at HBIC. As we said, DNA is the fundamental characteristics of who we are. Um, it's our uniqueness, so it's the essence of who we are as HBIC. But then also, as DNA reproduces, this is who we want to be. We want to be people who reproduce. So not just disciples who make disciples, but a certain kind of disciples that makes us HBIC. Those are the disciples we want to reproduce. Um, as I was thinking about serving locally and, and globally, I was just reminded about how, you know, in this, Jesus is giving us, you know, a call and then a commission. Um, stop me if you've heard me before, but a lot of times when I come up here, I'm like, man, this is my favorite passage, right? Um, I'll, I'll change it a little bit this morning and say, this is actually this morning one of my favorite passages um, in all of Scripture. And I think one of the reasons I love it is because the more I read it, the more I study it, I just hear Jesus saying, I am you to serve me here. I'm calling you to serve me there. I'm calling you to serve everywhere. That each one of us are required to be loving and serving and witnessing for Jesus locally and globally. And I think one of the ways that Jesus does that is through this story. Remember, these were um, uh, about 120 ish at this point of people who only had the witness of Jesus, and God used that, empowered by the Spirit, to change the world. These are 120 people who didn't have all the plans of how to reach everyone. All they knew was who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and they lived to tell that story. And that story changed the world. So when we say that we can serve locally and globally, we're going to actually walk in that vein and walk in that spirit of Jesus to say, if we're willing to tell who Jesus is, if we're willing to share what Jesus has done with who we know, who we touch, who we interact with, we can change the world through Christ. And that's our commission. That's our commission. The call is to serve him here, there, and everywhere, but a commission for all of us is to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, I'll be reading the first 11 verses. You can also follow up front. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After instructions through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates or the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you this morning just for the blessing and privilege of you being our Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the call, for the commission that you've placed upon all of your followers, that we are to be your witnesses. So, Father, we pray this morning that we are empowered by your Holy Spirit to tell who Jesus is, to tell what Jesus has done, and to live to tell that story. Because, Lord, by us being your witnesses, with those you've placed in our lives, by the Spirit's help, with the Spirit's power, we can change and win this world for Christ. In your holy and precious name, amen. I said when I thought about this uh, message this morning, I just thought about here, there, and everywhere. When I think about the local and global witness that we're all called to, it's a here, there, and everywhere witness. But what's interesting about this particular passage is one of the best ways to understand Acts is what it really was. And Acts is actually the second half of Luke. Right? Luke and Acts usually go together, and they should go together. Now, I love John. John was Jesus' best friend. John is actually probably the, the gospel I, I see and understand Jesus the best through. Um, but John kind of separates Luke and Acts, you know? So we forget sometimes that they're meant to go together. And, and if you understand the book of Acts is really part two of the Jesus story. In the gospel, Luke says, this is who Jesus is. And in Acts, the part two of the Jesus story is this, this is how Jesus works now through this group called the church, his followers. Now, now Luke, because he's the writer of both, has certain themes that he does in both places, or certain, not even themes, certain things that he does in both places. So in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, when he's going to tell us this is who Jesus is, you see that the Holy Spirit is very active, even in the birth of Jesus himself. Now when we get to Acts, and now this is the birth of the church, we see that what? The Holy Spirit is active even in the birth of the church. The second thing about this being the second half of Luke is that the Holy Spirit is the one in the gospel that propels Jesus into ministry. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus and propels him to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And here in Acts, it's the spirit that comes down and empowers and propels these followers into being the church as they go out into the world to do what? The work of the kingdom of God. Now, our passage this morning is, is, is fascinating to me for many reasons. One of them is that in this 11 verses, Luke attempts to do something kind of big in 11 verses. The first thing he wants to do is he's like, I'm going to tell you guys what Jesus did and what Jesus taught and how he passed that on to his followers. Again, what Luke wants us to know is that following Jesus is not just what you believe. It's how you live. Following Jesus is not just what you know, it's what you do. So it's not just about saying this is what Jesus did, this is what Jesus taught. Luke expects, through the power of the Holy Spirit, all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus to do what Jesus did and to teach what Jesus taught. Luke wants us to also know that Jesus is king. That Jesus is the Lord of this new kingdom. That even though the gospel first comes to this Palestine and to Israel, that Jesus' plan is for the world. Now in Acts, you have the followers of God coming together to be witnesses 
of Jesus. And that's how the gospel goes forth. The other thing about this that Luke does here is he, he's very, very um, intent on letting us know that the Holy Spirit comes down after Jesus goes up. Now, this isn't to say the Holy Spirit didn't exist, right? Like a lot of times we read Acts, we're like, oh, then the Spirit came, right? As if this is a new thing. And yes, it is a new way that God is now working. But the Holy Spirit was there in creation. The Holy Spirit was there throughout the Old Testament as men and women served God. The Holy Spirit is what came upon Jesus to propel him to do his work. The Holy Spirit has always been working. But Luke says there's something new happening. You know, I had one writer say it like this, you know, atomic power has always existed. It just took us a long time to figure out how we as mankind can, can, can harness that power. And I think you can kind of use that same line of thinking when it comes to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had always existed. But now Luke is saying when the Spirit comes down in this way, the church, the followers of God are able to be harnessed to do God's work in a new way. Now, in the passage, he starts off with, uh, with an introduction. Um, Luke is very, very brilliant. He's very, very bright. He's writing uh, a Koine Greek, which is a more educated type of Greek. Um, and the reason we know this is because the very first um, sentence of this passage is actually the very first five verses of Luke. Right? That's his introduction. Five verses. And I, I always have to pause and say this. To, you know, a lot of times we don't read our Bible and say, man, I'm so grateful for these commas and periods and punctuation points. You know? I'm so grateful for numbers of verses. Right? Because people back then had everything capitalized and no punctuation. Right? So it just went all capitalized. Oh, and there was no spacing. So they're all squished together. So it just read across. Right? So next time you open your Bible, I want you to say, God, I'm, I'm so grateful for a comma. Praise God for this period. Thank you, Lord, for verses. You know, like, you're blessed. You might not know this morning, but you're blessed, right? But this long sentence is because Luke wants to set the theme. He wants to recap what has been said and what will be said. He wants to set the shape and tone of his entire document. In fact, if you go back to the Gospel of Luke, he does the same thing in the very first four verses there. That's also one sentence, right? So in this whole first five verses in Acts 1, Luke is setting the theme. He's setting the tone. He's trying to say, this is what has happened. This is what will happen. The other thing, too, is he addresses the recipient. And, and a lot of people have spent a lot of time trying to figure out who Theophilus is, right? Some people say, I think it's this guy. I think it's this guy. I think it's this guy. And then there's some people who are like, no, I just think that's an honorary title because Theophilus means friend of God. You know what you need to know this morning is Luke is writing about the disciples to the disciples for the disciples. And that's where we are. We are the disciples this morning as well because we're followers of God. So he's writing not just to them, for them, about them. He's writing to us, for us, and about us. So this work that happens in Acts is the same work God expects us to be doing today. Amen? Next, the last thing I think, too, that's kind of fascinating here is that Luke does something. Um, it's, 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 I don't know. I was trying to think of ways to describe it, right? So Luke is going to say, I'm going to tell you in these 11 verses what has been done and what will be done. I'm also going to give you kind of like Jesus' greatest hits. The greatest thing that Jesus did, I'm going to sum them up. And as I thought about it, the best I came out is I remember um, when I was a kid, you know, I think it was one of my uncles gave me Bob Marley's Legend album, 
right? If you haven't listened to it, then you, I said you were blessed, now I need to bless you some more. Go listen to it, right? Um, but most of us, this is our introduction about Marley. And it's so much so our introduction about Marley that we sometimes forget it's a greatest hits album, right? It's a compilation album. To this day, when I listen to a Bob Marley album that has a song from Legend, I'm like, why are they messing up the song order? Like, this is not how the orders, that's not it, right? But Legend is a greatest hits. And so what Luke does from after verse 5, 6 to 11, and recapping Jesus' ministry, Luke says, you know, I lived with him. I walked with him. I was loved by him. I knew what he was all about. But I'm going to sum it up and give you Jesus' greatest hits. So what are Jesus' greatest hits? Well, one is he's ascended into heaven. The Lord of this universe entered a time and place, lived and loved. But after all his work was done, Jesus is physically in heaven. That's where Jesus is. And Luke gives us this preview to say that, you know, there's going to come a day when heaven finally comes down. There's going to come a day where we get these new bodies. And Jesus, after he's resurrected, gives us a preview of what these bodies will be like. But it's a body where people can recognize him. It's a body where people can sit with them and eat with them and talk with them and communicate with them. But it's also a body that's kind of mysterious where Jesus can walk with you along Emmaus Road and you still not know who he is. And I love that story because it's a reminder to us that those of us who think we know Jesus, sometimes he's staring us in the face and we still don't see him. Sometimes he's moving a mighty way and we still don't see it. But praise God from whom all blessings flow. Because when the time is right, he will always reveal who he is and what he's doing. But the second thing that Luke says, you know, he's, he ascended up to heaven. The second greatest hit is this. Jesus suffered for us. Jesus suffered for us. There's a lot of Christians now who are wanting to take out the cross from the gospel. There's a lot of people who are just uneasy with this idea that Jesus had to die. There's a lot of people who was like, you know what, I just don't know if I believe in, 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 in the, the, the sin and, and atonement. There's a lot of people who say, I just don't know why Jesus had to suffer, and I don't know if I agree with it. But the thing is, there is no grace without a Redeemer. There is no Savior without Jesus suffering on Calvary's tree. And it's not up to us to figure out how it happened or all the intricacies that it happened. But no, there is no grace except for the grace of God. And we might have the freedom and we might have the redemption and we might have the forgiveness of sins. But that forgiveness came at a price. And the price was Jesus dying on the cross for you. And if we take that out of the gospel, I will venture to say this morning, we have no gospel. If Jesus didn't have to die, we can never be set free. And yes, it might be free for you, but it cost him everything. And he freely and willingly gave himself for us so that we can come back home again. Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered for us. Jesus died for us so that we can come home again. Third greatest hits of Jesus and Luke is the only one who points this out, that after the resurrection, he spends 40 days with his followers. He appeared to them, sometimes out of thin air, sometimes alongside of a road, sometimes sitting on the beach eating breakfast, sometimes just sitting in a room talking. He speaks to them. He eats with them. Jesus is alive. 
When Luke talks about us being witnesses, he is not saying they're witnesses to some partition or they all got a slumber and had some kind of dream. This was a Jesus they touched. This was a Jesus they saw. This was a Jesus they communicated with. When they were witnesses, you have to understand, they were eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ. The resurrected Jesus Christ spent 40 days telling them who he was. And in these 40 days, Jesus does two things that flesh out the core of his teaching. There's a New Testament scholar by the name of Gordon Fee, and he's a great college professor, so he does what every great college professor does. They give a quiz on the first day that everyone fails. And the quiz was simply this. What is the core teaching of Jesus? And then some of the favorite answers I was reading and listening um, to him talk about this is, he said, there was one student who says, justification by faith. And he goes, I love this student because apparently he thinks, you know, uh, Paul is Jesus, right? Um, And then he's like, there's some people who are like, well, yeah, obviously it's Jesus, so it's love. Jesus' teaching is love. And Fee points this out. Now, I'm going to add on to this because I talked about John earlier. I'm grateful for John because John explains when John sees Jesus, he sees love of God. When John sees how Jesus loves and how Jesus operates, he sees the love of God. John is very much our introduction, our really New Testament understanding of how much God loves us is through John. Because here's the thing. If you took out the Gospel of John and if you just looked at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, do you know how many times Jesus talks about love? Three. Three. So if you say this is the core teaching of Jesus, the other gospels only have it three times. And it's generally the same two to three passages, right? Love God, right? Love your neighbor as yourself, love your enemies. Generally, that's it. That's Jesus' encompass. Now, you could obviously flesh that out into many different directions, but three times. But you know what the core teaching of Jesus is? It's about the kingdom of God. Every single time, every single gospel, they profess that Jesus' core teaching is the kingdom of God. Luke himself says it 39 times. 39 times. And it wasn't just random times. It was sometimes the most important times. For example, when Jesus starts his ministry, he's empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what? Preach the kingdom of God. When Jesus sends out the disciples into the neighborhoods, you know, the verse is translated as preach or announce. And I think sometimes we forget it because we just like, well, they had Jesus and they were ready to go. You know what? they were supposed to do when they got to the road when they saw the town on the hill they were supposed to preaching and screaming out loud at the top of their lungs the kingdom is here the kingdom is here the kingdom is here you think witnessing is hard imagine if that was your introduction imagine going home and just standing on the end of your block the kingdom is here the kingdom is here you might get arrested but that's what they were called to do or or think about how when jesus taught us how to pray Right? A lot of us, when we pray, we got to be honest, it's pretty selfish prayers. It's good prayers because it's about us and for us, right? But when Jesus taught us to pray, it's about what? The kingdom of God. Your will on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Seek first the kingdom. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself because I really feel like this is going to be our next sermon series because if this is Jesus' core teaching, we need to learn what it means about the kingdom of God, don't we? We need to know what the kingdom of God looks like. Why is this so important? And even at the Last Supper, Jesus teaches them about the kingdom. And now Luke says when he's resurrected and spends 40 days with us, you know what he taught us about? The kingdom of God. And that calls us to kind of stop for a second and to say, if this is Jesus' core teaching, how is this impacting how I'm living? 
Am I living to witness what Jesus has done, who Jesus is, and pointing people to the kingdom of God? Or am I too busy campaigning for my own agenda? Am I too busy building my own fiefdom? I love that word. I use it three times a year. It's so good, right? Am I too busy building me and mine? What's important to me, what I'm passionate about, what I know it's true, that's what I'm living for. Or am I living for the kingdom of God? Can I honestly say I'm living to build God's kingdom? And then the second thing that John says that Jesus spends 40 days teaching them is promising them the Holy Spirit is coming. John, my cousin, baptized with water to prepare you for the Messiah. Now, Jesus says, I'm going to go to heaven to get it perfect for you. Think about that. I love thinking about that. That's one of my joys in this life. Thinking about the fact that God spoke this world into existence, but he's working on heaven. Like, that should blow you away. That God spoke the world into existence. Everything about this world, he just spoke it, but yet Jesus is working on heaven. That's amazing to me. And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit to prepare you not for the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. But it's going to prepare you for what? The kingdom of God. In those 40 days and in this passage, Luke is saying, Jesus is giving us a new path forward as his disciples. Now all the disciples... They knew and they acknowledged that Jesus was Lord. And I think that's important for all of us because we cannot be followers of Jesus if he's not Lord. You cannot consider yourself a follower of Jesus if you don't submit every single thing to him. That means everything you think, everything you believe, everything you work for, everything you say, everything you do, submit it to Jesus Christ because he is Lord and you are not. The disciples fully believed that Jesus is Lord. And part of the reason we know this is true, because these same disciples, this group of 120, changed the world. They changed the world simply because they knew who Jesus was. They told what Jesus did. And they told it to everyone they had contact with. And that's what God and the Spirit used to change the world. But these disciples had to learn something that we also have to remind ourselves for. And as Jesus didn't just come for Israel, he came for the world. Now, I think we give them a little too much, too much um, of flack, you know? We give them too much flack. We're like, oh, they missed it again. They're just here complaining about Israel. Jesus, you come from Israel. And I think if you want a modern day, or at least to help you understand why they were so focused on Israel, you have to remember these were an oppressed people. These are people who were ruled and mistreated by empire after empire after empire. Imagine going to Nazi Germany and them saying, we can't wait for Messiah to come to take Hitler out of power. Imagine you're going like, well, you just missed it. You just missed it. Or imagine going back 400 years to an African-American family on a slave plantation. Or maybe 300 years when they thought they earned freedom through the Civil War and got Jim Crow. Or 200 years later, or 100 years later, when they thought they had access to the American dream, and America said, I'm going to redline you to make sure you stay poor. Imagine going to those people and saying, you got it all wrong. You just want Messiah to save you and get you out of your situation. Don't beat them up for getting it wrong. 
because we too get it wrong as well. Because we want Jesus to be our personal Lord and Savior. And as great as that is, Jesus came for the world. God so loved the world. And and the beauty of all this is that God expects you to help him win the world. So when we say disciples of Jesus go here, they go there, they go everywhere, I love what Jesus does. The commandment is to start with Jerusalem. And it's not just because Jerusalem is their cultural center, their political center. It's not just because Jerusalem is where Jews had now who had spread into Africa, into Asia, starting to go into Europe. Jews had come from all over that known world. It's not because they would come to Jerusalem two or three times a year or because people had relationships and family all over the world. But it was because it was what they knew what was most familiar. A lot of times we think about witnessing and sharing about Jesus. We're so overwhelmed by how hard and how big it is. Here's the thing. God doesn't expect you to save anybody, much less the world. The Father still made the plan. Jesus still died. The Spirit still convicts. They do the work of saving, not you. But what God does expect you to do is to start with what's familiar. Start with who you know. Start with who you're connected to. Start with who's in your circle. Start with who's in your orbit. And simply break it down like this. I will tell who Jesus is. I will tell what Jesus has done for me. And that's all I'm going to tell. And if you're starting to do that, you're starting to witness. And if you're starting to witness with your circle... God will combine all of our circles to change the world. This has always been the pattern. Start with what you know. That's why he started with Jerusalem. Start with what you know. But then he challenged them. He then challenged them to go to Samaria. And Samaria would have been people they oppressed. Samaria would have been people who they felt oppressed them. Samaria would have been people they didn't like very much. Samaria would be people they wanted nothing to do with. Samaria, you know, the, the, the best way I can explain Samaria to us is, you know, um, <laughs> I was going to say black and white tension during the civil rights, but it's still happening in 2020. Right? That, that, that's who he was calling them to. People who they were ethnically different from them, but people who they decided they wanted nothing to do with. When Jesus is Lord, it means that we must submit everything to him. And by calling them to go to their neighbors in Samaria, Jesus is saying that my following or you being my disciple has to matter more than what you look like. It has to matter more than what family you're connected to. It has to matter more than what's in your bank account. It has to matter more than what education you have. It has to matter more than who's your favorite politician this week. When Jesus is Lord, we go to everyone to tell them that Jesus is Lord. When Jesus is Lord, we submit who we are, what we dream, what we think, who we're connected to, what we value, our politics, our money, our children. We pledge it all to Jesus Christ and surrender it all to Jesus Christ. We cannot go to be witnesses of Jesus if we're not willing to first be followers of Jesus. We cannot be followers of Jesus if we're not submitting to Jesus in everything, in everything. And then he tells them to go to the end of the earth. And I love that because in that culture, when they said the ends of the earth, they meant Africa. 
They meant the ends of the earth, Ethiopia, the ends of that known world at the time. And as a Liberian, yes, I got to submit that to Jesus too, I know. But it warms my heart a little bit that the Lord and Savior said, don't forget the Africans. And it's a reminder to us. It's a reminder to all of us that our faith can't just be about who's in front of us. That our faith can't just be about who we're connected to. That our faith has to be about the world. It has to be about the world. It's not just about what you're doing here. It's not just about how you're growing in your individual walk. It's got to be about all of us. We're all called to go to the world. And I love that Acts ends in Rome. That was as big of a dream as they can have back then. But I love even more that God's goal was always the earth. And those disciples went to all the known earth. And those disciples died to proclaim who Jesus was, to tell what Jesus did, and to say the kingdom of God is coming. And through faith you can enter in. The ascension then... We don't really focus a lot here in the West on the Ascension. You know, other places in the world, they have Ascension Sundays, you know. I kind of feel like that'd be kind of cool, you know. Like, everybody bring your Ascension T-shirts, you know. <laughs> I'm mostly just kidding, but I know someone will do it. <laughs> but the thing about the Ascension is that before Jesus leaves, he gives us work to do. And I think that's what I missed about the Ascension growing up. You know, I was kind of like the disciples at the end just looking like, ah. But we have to understand that the work of the church doesn't begin until Jesus goes up to heaven. We have to understand that Jesus is working on heaven. That's what he's doing right now. But for thousands of years now, he's left the spirit and he's left you, the church. Jesus and heaven should motivate us, not for an escape clause or an emergency break glass or, or God, come help me, life is so hard right now. It should motivate us because here's the thing. Jesus isn't coming back until that last soul is saved. Jesus isn't coming back until your work is done. And here's the thing. I can't wait to get to heaven. But if you're not doing God's work and you're not bringing the kingdom on earth and you're not working to bring God's kingdom and bring people into the kingdom, we ain't getting to heaven yet. We're not getting there till the work is done. And as long as you have breath, as long as you have your right mind, as long as you have your gifts and your skills and your abilities, as long as you're on this side of heaven, you better be working for the kingdom. Until heaven, we work on earth. Until heaven, we work on earth. Until heaven, we work on earth. You see, our DNA here at HBIC is that here we teach the message of being local and global witnesses through discipleship. We teach it through the many services and loving ways we, we, we touch our community. We do it through prayer. We do it through how we take care of the building, how we project about the future. We do it by simply saying, we are going to be a light on this hill because we believe our Jesus that if we shine, they will see our light and glorify our Father in heaven. We are all called to serve and be a light here. But I also love that this church in the garage at the top of the hill touches the world. I love that right now after this service, many of us can whip out our phones and hit a button and call the other side of the world with people we're connected to. 
we're at a unique time in history. I tell the story all the time. When I was in fifth grade, we had pen pals in Japan. And it took us about three weeks to videotape a message. And we each had like three sentences. You know, mine was like, hi, I'm Henry. I like the New York Mets and I live in New York City, you know. It was really Palisades Park, but they didn't know where that was. So, yeah, they just, you know. It took us three weeks to videotape that. Because it was like 30 of us, and we couldn't laugh because you had to keep a straight face and everything, right? We mailed that. <laughs> and we didn't hear back from our pen pals till the last week of school. That was not that long ago. Now I can hit my phone, hit a button, and talk to a variety of different countries. And I bring all that to say that we're all from countries all over the world. We all have people we love who are in countries all over the world. We all can call somebody in another country right now and tell them, I'm praying for you, Jesus is with you, I love you, and Jesus loves you. We can impact the world from here. And one of the ways we do it is through our missionaries. I love Nancy prayed, and I hope you take that, that paper and you, you pray for them throughout the year. And you remember that this work that they're doing is we're all doing it together. And there's different ways you can support them. You support them financially, please do. You can support them through prayers, please do. But support them in remembering that we're all doing this work together. It's not a comparison. It's not a competition. We're all on the same team. The other thing I was thinking about, though, is I remember years ago, this last story I'll end with, um, before I was on staff, I used to meet with Pastor Woody. And the young kids would call this a weird flex, you know? For, you know, to explain what that means to you, it's just a weird way to boast, right? It's Pastor Woody, so you got to use your imagination that he would have a weird way to boast. Just use your imagination. Um, but I remember sitting across from him in his, in his office, which is weird because it's now my office. Um, and I remember him looking at me in the eye and said, you know what's wild about this church? Is if all the people who are just loving and serving the immediate area took the day off, this whole region will be crippled, you know? And I remember looking at him, I'm just like, I don't even know if that's true. <laughs> but like, even if it's a little bit true, that's a pretty bold statement, you know? And I remember leaving with that thought. And then over the next six months, I met people who are working in our school district. I met people who are working in education. I met people who are working in health. I met people who are working in nonprofits. I met people who are leading in nonprofits. I remember sitting there thinking to myself, well, maybe he's right. <laughs> and that's the beautiful thing about being witnesses. And that's the beautiful thing is that all of us are supposed to do this work. All of us have work to do. All of us have to simplify witnessing to simply saying, I'm going to tell what God has done. I'm going to look and ask God to show me what he's doing because I want to partner with him to do what he's doing. This is the work we're all invited to share in. And it doesn't matter where you go to work tomorrow. It doesn't matter who you call family today. It doesn't matter who you're connected to. We're all invited to join the work of heaven here on earth. To be a local and global witness means to simply say to the people I'm connected to, to the people I interact with, to the people who are in my circle, I'm going to tell you who Jesus is. I want to tell you what Jesus has done for me. And I want to tell you my God loves you. That's it. If you're willing to do that, I want to tell you a secret. You can change the world because that's been God's formula for thousands of years.
if you're willing to tell who Jesus is and what Jesus has done to the people in your circle, you can change the world. I'd like to invite up the choir. I think they're still here. Um, We're going to end by singing Alpha and Omega. Thinking about Jesus being the beginning and the end. As we stand and sing this song, I want to invite you to think about how God is calling you to be a witness. Just think about who is Jesus to you? What has Jesus done for you? And who in your circle needs to hear that message? I'd like to also invite up the intercessors and any pastors in the room up as well. We'd love to pray for you, whether it's about the sermon or witnessing or anything else you got going on in life. We want to pray for you because that's also another way that we witness to each other. But as we sing about Jesus this morning, ask yourself simply, who is Jesus? What has he done? Who can I go and tell? Amen? Let's stand and sing together. Again, you are alpha. 
there's, um, <clears throat> there's a Scottish missionary by the name of Andrew Walls who's absolutely one of my favorite people in the world, um, mostly because he's Scottish, by the way, of West Africa. We know all good things come from West Africa. Um, and, and one of the things that Walls does is he looks at the history of the church, and he says, it's fascinating that God always had this plan for the world. But yet he starts with these little group in Palestine, and they took down the mighty Roman Empire, simply because they knew who Jesus was, told what Jesus did, and told it to who they met. And after they took down the mighty Roman Empire, um, now I would never do this to you people of European descent. I would never do such a thing. But Andrew Walls called you barbarians, you know, because you're outside the Roman Empire. And Andrew says that after they took down the empire, they went to the fearsome Western European barbarians, right? And what they went with them was simply this, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and, and how Jesus is working in the world. And after the Roman empires grew up, they came down. We now live in an age where Christianity is booming in the global south. Christianity is booming in Africa, in South America, in parts of China. And what I love most, and I honestly think what keeps me in America, is that we are now afforded the chance to sit in this church in Harrisburg and have 19 nations come to our ESL class every week. To sit in this church in Harrisburg and look around and see all the nations that are represented around us. God is sending the world to us. Are we willing to be his witnesses to tell who God is, what God has done, and how God is going to change this world? Let's pray. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much for your blessing. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the honor that you've chosen us to be your witnesses. God, help us to be witnesses that tell who Jesus is what Jesus has done, and to tell it to the people we know. God, we thank you that if we're just faithful to the people who are in our lives, you can use us by the power of the Holy Spirit to change this world and to win it for Christ. God, help us today to pledge our lives to you. Help us today to pledge our witness to you. Help us today to continue to partner with you, with your church, with the Holy Spirit, to make on earth as it is in heaven our reality to make on earth as it is in heaven possible, to make on earth as it is in heaven our work. In your holy and precious name, amen? Amen. God bless.